you want to understand the situation, I think first look into the data that you have and, and see what is the pay gap and, and, and do we need to change things. And, and I looked into two data that I, that I pulled um, or that I pulled reports on. One of all is the, we have certain levels for our employees and we've looked into, is there any gap in between these levels? And there's none. In the, there are like not so many people, but in some levels, women get paid more and some levels men get paid more. You don't see anything really. And I think it's very, very important that there is absolutely no, um, there shouldn't be any gender pay gap. There wouldn't be any excuse for this. Hello and welcome to an episode of Speak Like a CEO. I'm Lena Kelson and I'm here with Oliver Rast, who is the CEO of Europsir. Hi, Oliver. Hi, Lena. Really looking forward to this conversation, Lena. Uh, it's with Aika Senflin. She's the co-founder at Billy. Billy's been busy one of the uh, very hot, very interesting fintech companies here and has already raised over 40 million euros. And on top of that, Aiga has recently been named as one of the 15 women in European fintech that you should know. Hi, Aiga. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Hello, Lena and Oliver. Thank you for inviting me. We've already been having an interesting discussion, I would say, about lots of topics prior to this recording. And firstly, I'd love to start with what it was like to be named one of the 15 women in European fintech you should know, which is quite cool. I think that was just first and foremost quite unexpected and yeah I, I think it's great to see I still think 15 is probably way too few overall but it was it was great to see to be one of them and to see what everybody else is doing it got quite a lot of attention which I think is great because uh, f the fintech sector is probably uh, far away from other sectors in terms of how many women work there and are in in leading position and and therefore I do think it's great to be on that list but we should that should be I don't know 30 or 100 interesting women on that list very soon and what exactly is Billy doing Billy is a, a company in Berlin and we are innovating and building technology to create freedom and new possibilities for small companies we realize that we have to provide financial services in a whole new way. It's not only about liquidity anymore or just kind of credits, but we really want to provide companies with new freedoms and new automation processes and also give small companies the access to the access to um, financing products that usually smaller companies don't have. I mean, at least investors seem to be really believing in your products. How much money have you exactly raised so far? Um, I think it's been 43 million euros over the over three pre-funding rounds. Yes. Yeah, that is quite a lot. I mean, how did you convince the uh, the investors to give you that much money? Um, we started almost four years ago now with a team of seven co-founders that already been working together for quite a while and had a good solid understanding of the market at the time and also what you have to change and what you have to do differently. We've all come from Funding Circle, a company which I would say is really digital 1.0, like or Funding Circle or Zencap, what we've done previously, really six, seven years ago, thought you just take like the credit, the credit application form that you have with your bank and just put it into a browser and then that's digital. And we realized 
than in Billy. You can do a much more things you can use with a lot of different data. You can use the new infrastructure that we have through um, PSD2, which is um, like a payment service providing infrastructure, which is new within Europe and, and really create new and different services for your clients. So when, when you, for example, I don't know how many, how big you are as a company, um, but imagine, yeah, it's, it's, it's your company. You have, you've done some workshops or, or consultation with a big company and they will tell you, we can pay you in 60 days or 90 days. Actually, a, a lot of big company do that then um, Billy can really easily provide you new liquidity. You don't have to go through long due diligences. You don't have to, you know, kind of commit to long-term contracts. You will just sign up on our, on, you will just go to our website and sign up. And the sign-up flow will really feel more like signing up for Spotify rather than getting a, a, a credit line. So, and, and we do this by using a lot of technology, third data, other things, so that we can really make it easy for the companies have a nice UX, but also in this way provide the services that we ha- that usually only bigger companies can get. We can provide them to small companies as well. That's really cool to make B two B payments sound sexy, which is probably not <laughs> something um, that you hear a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly that, and 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 I think it's interesting because it's what you just said. Make B two B payments sound sexy. It is something interesting and really worthwhile doing. And yeah, you have to, um, but you just have to understand why you're doing it. You mentioned you have seven co-founders. How has that, or firstly, why was that a choice when you founded the company? And how has that kind of played out over the last years in terms of the roles and responsibilities? Yeah, we are seven co-founders in total, um, which kind of had very similar roles in our old company. So we knew each other very well and we didn't have any change in the setup. It's been very stable. I do think it's one of the big pluses when you come to Billy, you kind of know kind of the management, the leadership, they know each other. We also, though, and this was also important, managed to hire a few really good add-ons to that team because you need to constantly be challenged. You can't just be just the seven, the group of seven that have been there all the time. So um, it's really important that, uh, that you that you bring other people into that team and you have to also kind of allow them to come into this inner circle which uh, of these people that have been working together for such a long time and how with so many co-founders how do you communicate with your team which i believe is now over 100 people um is there someone in the leadership team who's primarily primarily focusing on communicating with the team or are all of you communicating um i think that has become, I think there are three people mainly communicating. One person is more dedicated towards investors, or one is more t- um, towards the team. One is more actually then communicating everything to the tech team, which is always, I think, a little bit different. And I think, and as long as you're aligned within the leadership team, then everybody can communicate the way that they can bring it across to their audience. Um, and, and it has worked really well that, in that way. And in general, from your question, how do we communicate? We have like weekly stand-ups with the entire team of the 110 people that have been uh, online so far and then monthlies and quarterlies so that we always have a little bit of different setups where we communicate kind of like the goals of Billy but also have little retrospectives and look back what's been 
what's been happening in the last quarter, but also mainly focusing on on where we're going to. I mean, we use OKR scheme, which is a is a very common tool. You probably will know this. But I do think it's only successful if you really, um, if people really know what you're doing and why you're doing it, and don't have too many OKRs and keep constantly telling and talking about these these things. It seems like you have a very open communication policy within the company, and you've also been quite vocal about reducing the gender pay gap, uh, pay gap at Billy. And I was wondering if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, and I think. Equality and diversity are very important topic for probably every one of, of us in Billy. And a lot of fintechs and probably are very data driven. And if you want to understand the situation, I think first look into the data that you have and, and see what is the pay gap and, and, and do we need to change things. And, and I looked into two data that I, that I pulled um, or that I pulled reports on. One of all is the we have certain levels for our employees and we've looked into, is there any gap in between these levels? And there's none. In the, there are like not so many people, but in some levels, women get paid more and some levels, men get paid more. You don't see anything really. And I think it's very, very important that there is absolutely no, um, there shouldn't be any gender pay gap. That would be absolutely not, there wouldn't be any excuse for this. However, I think you should also look at the overall gender pay gap, looking into looking at what all men make versus all women make. And this will not really say something about fairness within the levels, but this will say something about um, how reflected are women in the leadership, how many leadership positions are filled by women. Um, and there we have gender pay gap of under 5%, which is compared to anything, any other thing that I've seen really, really good. So, so I'm pretty proud of that. I think we need to keep it like there. We should probably get it smaller, but... Um, actually just monitoring it and having this as a KPI that is communicated to the company is really important because it will become part of Billy's DNA, right? Once once these numbers are out there, you can't take it back. And I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. And what's, I mean, when you're looking forward a couple of years for the company, what do you, what's, what's your objective? What's, where do you see Billy going over the next two to three years? We've had a, a phase now of really a lot of growth for emplo- uh, employees. I think a year ago we were probably 50 and now we're over 100. So um, that was a huge growth for one year. I think the growth will go be a bit not as big over the next year at least. Product-wise, we will change in the way that right now we're mainly looking at providing liquidity to people, but we also now want to really... Um, Automize and digitalize their their working uh, their their working flows and really become more integrated solution for um, for our customers. We will focus this on the for the time being. First of all, in Germany, Germany is a huge market, um, and then also take the the entire product set up um, outside of Germany towards Europe. Okay, so you. You gotta you gotta conquer the, the European markets. Um what did you learn by by hiring fifty people last year and hundred people in the last few years? And and what would you want to change or have you changed with a view to hiring more people over the coming years? I think what I've learned is being really slow in hiring in the beginning is very important. I think the first two years we were maybe after the first two years we were maybe like thirty-five people. So in the beginning we were really very focused on staying lean. Um, and, and for example, I run a team of legal and compliance. I've been a one-woman show 
for two and a half years. And now I have two people in the last year. I've hired two people into that team. But I've done this entire setup, getting the license from BaFin, getting everything in place, getting the funding round, getting all of this. I've done this on my own for quite a long time so that I understood what I need to do and then understood who I can pass it on to. We've done very much the same in finance. It's actually been one of our, our other co-founders who's done, the, who's done the entire finance setup, an entire back office, which leads to Billy having an amazingly automized back office. And now we've hired one finance person and that's the only finance person that we have for, for a company of 110 people. I think this is something that is key, really not trying to go crazy on hiring, but first of all, figuring the processes out yourself, automizing them, uh, and then handing it out to people, um, uh, to people that, that you then hire and that then can take over and improve it even more. I think this is something that we've been really good at. What can you have done better? I'm... I'm absolutely not a recruiter, and I, I think it's a hard question. I don't know. I mean, maybe it just went pretty well for you, and you hired the right people because the founders had a very clear vision, and, and uh, that was clear for people joining, and, and they, they were a good cultural fit. So, is that something you paid attention to? Um, oh, definitely, yes. And and we have we have many people interviewing. We have we use scorecards where we test the special skills that we think that you need to have in an in a dynamic fintech environment and this is all something we do and i mean we have have mishires right there's absolutely no that that is also part of it um but then you usually both parties realize that pretty quickly and it's not the end of the world for either of them so so but that's more like on an individual level which is quite normal i don't think we've got any like uh, we've done any Thing wrong on a strategic level in, in hiring and attracting the right people. We've got really a, a really great, I'd say we have a really great team of people on board. No, that definitely makes sense. And there's that kind of saying that it's like, you should only hire someone when you really feel the pain. So I guess in your case, you know, one person doing something on their own and automating it can only go so far as you grow as a company. Obviously, right now, a lot of companies have been going into remote work due to coronavirus and we're kind of in that phase where some companies are going back to work how have you guys approached remote work over the last few months and before that at Billy we have sent everybody into their their home offices mid-march quite early on and and the beginning of May we have then realized that there's for some people it's just horrible to to be working remotely. So beginning of March we have we've made a survey and asked people would who would like to stay working from home and he would would like to come back. And we realized there were so few people that wanted to come back. Everybody could do whatever they fancied doing. Um, and then in, in May, so in May we had a time where people would come back, but it was always maybe like twenty to thirty percent of people. So it was easy to keep the distance. It was easy for for everybody, for meeting rooms to be only very few people in, make sure that it's aired and all these things, try to follow all the guidelines. And then we've realized, and there's also something like a learning. I do think that remote work can only, like you need to every once in a while interact with the people on another level than just video video calls. You need to um, conceptualize things. You need to problem solve things like this. also, I think build relationships with people that have started anew, learn about the company, you know, not only work with the three people in your team, but also with the people that that are a bit further around, understand it. So we said we would encourage people to come back, but 
we've split everybody into like two groups. So one group in week A and one group in week B. So that there's like alternating and you can be here and ideally use your time for meetings that you're in the office and then use the time that you're at home for the for the other work that where it makes sense to to um to be not around your colleagues. But right now it's not mandatory. So everybody um so a lot of people come in, I don't know, twice, three times a day when they know there's other people. A lot of people who had new starters come in a bit more often, uh, which I also think makes a lot of sense. And it's important for people to understand, to get to know the company, the product. They're very complex, the culture, the way we work together. There is in every company, there's a lot of informal knowledge that you need to understand when you work. And, and, and I think you should every once in a while come be in the office to, to grasp all of this, especially in your first months of being somewhere. Yeah, that makes sense. What was most surprising to you over the last few months since we're going through all this, you know, different phases of the crisis and the epidemic? Uh, this insecurity on so many levels. And and then on the other hand, um, your my personal life right now, I'm back most of the time in the office. Um, I think this really interesting disbalance, right? You, you read the news, you, you, you see what's going on. There are some people that are saying, we're all doomed. This is going to be the end. Then you look at the stock markets. The prices are going up, up, up. So that is kind of not really working together. I think it's just uh, it, it's just a dazzling time in a way. And there's a lot of insecurity out there. But you kind of have to just keep doing what you're doing, I guess, and kind of just take step by step and go on on working on, on the things that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, have you actually benefited from the crisis? I mean, as a business, because I, I would assume that more, more, more small business in particular need liquidity and this, this is where you could help, for instance. So far, you can't really see that yet. A lot of businesses look for liquidity, but we're doing invoice financing. So that if they're not in business, they, um, they also don't really look for, for liquidity. On the other hand, we also since we also provide a solution for people to, which is very uh, close to rate pay, so for people to um, do B2B payments online, this has gotten a lot more interesting for people because it's been, I mean, the, the move from offline to online payments has been in the B2C world is, is long, long gone, right? Everybody has works works with Klarna and PayPal and all these things, but there aren't any great solutions around there for B2B. Um, all these like credit cards and PayPal, they don't really understand if there's a business that wants to buy from you. Um, they can't identify the business. They can't see, is this fraud? Do they actually have the money? Will they actually pay you? And that's some something where we realize companies notice that they have to also work on their online shops. And once you And once you want to sell something online, Payment is really, really important. And how do you how do you communicate with customers and prospective customers? You mentioned in the beginning that your approach, the way you get people to sign up, is quite different from the traditional uh, offers out there. So I, I suppose that needs to be explained to prospective customers who may be surprised by the simplicity and the style. I uh, the way we approach them is probably through a lot of marketing channels. Since I'm not really an expert, I'm going to skip that bit. But once you are coming to our website, then I don't actually think because it's very intuitive, it doesn't need to be explained, right? It's just a it's just a few minutes. You will just pretty much have to type in your company, um, have to 
give your telephone number to make sure that you're actually that person. But that's just about it. And we will pull the data, understand your setup and can make you an offer and can go on working with you. It's not that people are surprised by how easy it is. <laughs> it's actually, yeah, yeah. How do you actually find your customers? Uh, we have, um, we, we also kind of getting money from our uh, financing partners. We work together with big banks who find this concept very interesting, who, who themselves cannot serve these small customers. And therefore, they kind of lending money to us and we can then give this money out to, to our customers. So it's some kind of partnership or collaboration, I guess, between yes. those other financial players uh, that works yes. for you. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yes. Also, because I think like the traditional financial scene in Germany and a lot of countries always has a bit of a reputation for being, I guess, difficult and slow and incumbent. Um, so that's kind of nice to see that innovation coming through. Yeah, although they haven't really managed to do the innovation themselves, right? Like they they exactly. they kind of work with Billy because they can't do they can't build technology to serve the customers themselves so they kind of they kind of go through billy which is is good i think but it shows you're right with they are slow and and have a very hard time to change the processes they are in i know like companies like n26 have never claimed that they're you know direct competitors to banks but they may appear to be so where would you place billy in that realm if you can say yeah, we're certainly not direct competitors to banks. We're also not competitors to these big factoring providers because they only look for companies that are much bigger and then have like a two-week due diligence. So so we're not really um, a competitors to them. We're more competitor to Klarna or RatePay who provide these online payment services, although they focus quite clearly on B2C. They're absolutely expert in understanding the individual as a buyer, whereas Billy is much more focused on the company as a buyer, which which is very hard for, for Klarna and RatePay. That makes sense. And what I was wondering, uh, in the beginning, we mentioned that you were recently named one of the 50 women in European fintech you should know. Is that a deliberate effort on your part to build your personal brand, to be more out there in order to help Billy and to make the brand more, you know, better known? Or is it something that just happened organically and it's not something you would pursue in the future and it just happens if it happens, but it doesn't, that's fine too? I think it, it happened a little bit, but I realized that it's, it works quite well. And I realized also that it is very good in, in for, for employees. And I find it very, like women also that work here come up to me and say, because you're there, I have the feeling that I can be that too right and this is a great great compliment becoming a role model in these things and showing it's fintech it's finance and technology but you can just be as a woman you can also be um, in the board you can also be um, in the management and and that's that's a great thing and this is i think why i i pursue on doing this more because yeah it, it if you want to have a diverse company you need to have a diverse management and workforce yeah, and it needs to be seen, right? Um, yeah. Especially yeah. from a branding perspective, you're hiring people. And yeah, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> Have you guys faced any particularly memorable communication challenges in the last year or so? And what was the outcome of that? Luckily, we didn't have anything. Uh, like, uh, there are other, I think there are other fintechs around that I don't want to mention that have had quite a few problems with the regulators. I do always think I'm kind of glad that they're a few steps ahead of us so we don't have to repeat their mistakes um, and and that kind of also because 
fintechs are quite new for the regulators. So we don't really know what will they be looking at, where will they find something is yeah just okay or this is not okay anymore so i'm i'm glad that we're not the total four front runners and not the biggest fintech right now so we can kind of like stay a little bit in the shade and see how the other people have to communicate big bigger breaches or problems but no so far we didn't have any i don't know data breaches or serious problems with anti-money laundering we didn't have anything where we had to find communication strategies now that we've obviously been through Corona and the epidemic, and you've seen your competitors being uh, subjected to, you know, regulatory uh, scrutiny as well as public scrutiny, have you ramped up not just your your defenses but also your crisis communications planning so that if and when it happens, you're actually well prepared? We have prepared for the crisis in the way that we thought very well through how can we work and how can our operations stay up because we are we. we it was really easy for us to switch to switch to a complete remote setup, um, and we have kind of like at least two people working on all the key operational functions. Um, I don't think there is any kind of crisis ahead in terms of Corona. Uh, we did communicate to our customers though that we will still be there and kind of more like a reassuring. You can still come to Billy. We will keep providing our services. I mean, we've read that from from a few companies, but in terms of communication i i hope there won't be any any major hiccups ahead of us and do you have any advice that you'd like to share with other founders out there in terms of communication yeah i think for communication i think it's it's very important to have a communication strategy or just a com- an understanding of your communication it's very much in line with the goals of your company and I think there's nothing more frustrating than people than hard, than smart, hardworking people, and they realize whatever I'm working on or designing or building will never be put into practice. Or once it's there, customer won't use it, right? So we, you need to understand the strategic value of your company and derive the goals from that, and then also communicate this in a way that people understand it um, and that people can engage with it, and people or want to engage with it and want to work for your company. I think that that's very important. Also, you can really never over-communicate. Communicate your, the purpose that you have. Communicate why, why you're doing this. Communicate your um, strategy, but also communicate how things are actually coming about, right? When you say, look, in the next three months, we want to build this, don't leave people just sitting there. And after three months, you tell them it did work, it didn't work. We, for example, have again, very data-driven, we have a dashboard that everybody can look on and can see, oh, where's the progress to all of these initiatives that we have? Um, how will this influence the business goals and the top line and all of these things? Everybody can look at this all the time. It's a form of um, very clear communication. And we have a lot of data-driven people. That's how, that's how a lot of people like to understand the world as well. So so allow them to just look look at to what's the what's the progress that we're making. The thing that somebody has built last week is affecting, I don't know, the the fraud rate that we have in a positive way. So we're fewer fraudsters. That's great to see in, in the data that you have. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you so much. I got it was really a fantastic conversation, really interesting. Thank you so much. And it's great to see that Billy is really, you know, growing at a fast rate and providing a service that others have been not been providing and uh, digitalizing and helping digitalize the country and the economy and businesses. And it's much appreciated. And good luck 
for the next uh, phase of your growth and thank you for your insights. Thank you too and uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.